Welcome to another episode of Hemp Baron. I'm Dan Humiston, and today's Baron made her decision to start growing hemp on their Western Colorado farm back in 2014, and since then has reintroduced traditional growing techniques, taking advantage of nature's own natural ecosystem to help them expand their growing acreage. Let's join Joy's conversation with Margaret McKenzie from Salt Creek Hemp and 11 Acres Hemp. Margaret, thank you for being on Hemp Errands with us today. Hi, Joy. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. We've known each other for some years now and really got to bond during the Hemp Industries Association European Hemp Tour last year, where we got to do technical visits and various ambassador-type visits with Germany and Holland and Belgium, and it was just so fantastic, and I know we both learned so much. And it's great to have you on today to talk about the two brands that you're managing of really fantastic hemp extract products, 11 acres, as well as Salt Creek Hemp Company. But before we talk about those brands, let's talk for a second about how you got interested in hemp. How did you come to learn about hemp? Well, thank you, Joy. And yes, it was uh, such a fun trip that we had together exploring Europe and seeing the industry that has already established itself over there with the fiber. And and it was just a phenomenal trip. And so much appreciate the HIA for putting that on. So we were introduced into the hemp industry in late 2014. My mom and my aunt had a ranch that they were raising cattle and horses on together. And then my aunt suddenly passed away in 2012. And my mom didn't really want to take care of the whole place by herself. She wanted to relocate back to the front range to be close to me and, and the kids and really we're trying to sell the property at that point. And then there was a big landslide. Anyway, long story short, the property wasn't selling. And so it just started becoming, you know, a huge drain on finances, obviously for for taxes and insurance and, and everything else, maintenance of the property. So we looked into how are we going to make this land cover its costs, cover its expenses. And that's what introduced us to hemp. The, the 2014 farm bill had been signed. And yeah, we just uh, started going to all of the events we could to educate ourselves, meet other people that were doing the same thing, looking into hemp as well and growing it and really just fell in love with the people, the the industry the the revolution, the community, the, the opportunity. You fell in, <laughs> yes, you fell in love with yes. all of it. Once hemp gets up in you, it's in you. I, as I like to say to folks, it literally gets into your DNA and, and then it has you and you just start it working does. for its reemergence. Absolutely. And boy, did it get you and aren't we lucky that it did. So you ended up <laughs> forming Salt Creek Hemp Company with several partners who includes your mother, your brother, and other very talented and skilled folks close to you. So tell us about, first, I'm, I'm curious, is it difficult managing the two brands? Tell us about the difference between or, or what you want, you know, to show the consumer in terms of the difference between 11 Acres and Salt Creek. And then for the entrepreneurs out there and so many other folks looking to get into the industry, tell us your experience managing two brands. Well, we really, we started Salt Creek in 2000, late 2014, 2015, and we really didn't have any intention of, of, you know, going to full retail 
and, you know, creating, creating a brand. We really just wanted to farm. We wanted to grow hemp and then we wanted to see it drive away in a truck at the end of the season. And, you know, as we learned that, you know, was not the case, you know, that was not really happening at that point in time. We were really at the beginning of, you know, just starting to form or reform the supply chain. And so, um, you know, there wasn't really that option for, you know, selling all the crop and it driving away at the end of the year. So we just, we were learning, we were, you know, taking our time, really kind of dialing in what our goals as a company were. And, and that's, you know, over the first couple of years is when we really decided that because our acreage is fairly small, that taking our hemp that we grew and then harvested all the way through processing into a retail product was the best return on investment for us. And also we could own that every part of it and really maintain the quality and be, you know, be in control of the quality all the way through. And so that was really important to us, um, just starting to see kind of the trends. And you had infrastructure there that, because you don't do your own processing, but the blessing was you were there in Colorado at the Nexus of the reemergence of, of the crop and as well as basically the, the cutting edge of the discovery of, oh my goodness, we can extract these valuable, non-intoxicating, beneficial cannabinoids from the hemp plant. And you had infrastructure there to help you with the processing aspect. Because as you say, many farmers, and you well know this, they want to grow the crop and then never see it again until the next year when they're replanting. And and uh, and vertical integration can be difficult, but there you had sort of the the magic combination ready for you to move forward to build this to an end consumer product. Yes, we were very lucky with, in that in that aspect. Whereas we didn't do the you know we didn't have the infrastructure on site for the processing, but we did. Have, we do have a partner in Grand Junction that did the extraction for us, and then contract manufacturing right pretty much right next door to that. So everything that we do is done in the same county. It's done in Mesa County. It's all local and it's all within our pretty tight circle of friends. So it's it's really, really lucky. I was just going to say exactly. And what a blessing that you have that and that you can, and that you can create that. So so tell us a little bit about the two different brands or how you decided to add 11 acres to your offerings as a partnership. Well, we saw the benefit in having a retail line and we had developed Salt Creek and we all absolutely, you know, are in love with the Salt Creek brand. But we realized that in the marketplace right now, there's just a lot of very generic product or branding and and labeling. And so we thought we would take a stab at developing a more targeted marketing strategy and, and, and take the brand and really, you know, aim it towards a a specific demographic. So the 11 acres is really a more female oriented, uh, feminine looking label. And, you know, it's, it's watercolors and all the labels are watercolors of our ranch and from different angles and different perspectives of the land that we grow the hemp on. So really fun there. It was really so fun to, to take that on. So beautiful. And I love the fact that it's different aspects of your land. I, I got to be with you as I often am at a conference last week and admire and inspect them all. They're, it's very beautiful. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're all, we're all pretty proud of it. Indeed. And, 
And so, and so you created the more feminine brand and now you're operating both of the sites. And how are you finding that as a business owner? Is it a model that you might recommend to other entrepreneurs? Well, it is a model that I would definitely recommend people considering. And it's tough because I really don't, you know, we're, we're kind of new into this, you know, second retail line. We really only launched it about two, three months ago, right after, actually right around the time of NOCO. So you're exploring, you're basically doing your own R and D as it is. And maybe we, maybe we'll have you on again in the future and you can let us know because it is challenging, very challenging, even for, you know, very well-funded uh, companies to manage two brands. So uh, I'll just be excited to see how all of that unfolds and, and just hoping for the greatest success for, for both of those brands because they're such great products. And and those products include soft gels, tinctures, salts, bombs, um, some bath products, and of course, deodorants. And and I noticed you, like like many folks, because of course we're navigating, we as in the, the hemp extract industry, I belong to multiple aspects of the hemp industry, but of course I I also work with the Lixinol. So when I say we, I mean, they're trying to navigate this gauntlet of FDA compliance in this untenable situation that we're, we're currently in. And the FDA is, of course, trying desperately, it, it claims to come on board to help create a regulatory framework for us. But for example, in your 42 milligram capsules, which you gave me some samples of, thank you, last week, how much CBD, thank you, ma'am, how much CBD are in the 42 milligrams of hemp extract? How much is cannabidiol or the actual cannabinoid CBD in there? Do you, do you folks know? So absolutely. And we know because we do third-party testing on every single one of our products that's on the market right now. So we do, and we went with the 42 milligrams on the label because that's what we feel we are that that is what we're describing what's in our product we do know that there are 25 milligrams so 25 of those 42 milligrams are actual cannabidiol so but we we chose so very potent very potent that's fantastic 25 milligrams of cbd out of a 42 milligram hemp extract product is is fantastic that for many folks that's a one soft gel you know or or one serving for their daily allowance for whatever they're seeking you know temporary relief of or to improve their general wellness so that's a potent little capsule thank you so now i know that's what what i've got this is great wow we grow some some great oil (laughs) you sure do and thank you which is a perfect segue and where i was absolutely headed is one of the many things that impresses me about your family, about the way you do business, about the products you create, and about the plants you grow and the land you keep and steward is the use of regenerative agricultural techniques. And as we know, this versatile, valuable plant that has so much uh, promise to build the soil, heal the biosphere, you know, heal the planet, and increase, increase health in the human population and animal population. But we know that in order for that to happen with hemp, because it is a hungry plant, um, we're going to have to employ regenerative agricultural techniques. And that the stewards here, those of us leading the industry, and you're such a valuable part of that, Margaret, are absolutely determined that we're not going to let this valuable, versatile crop go the way of big ag. Same old, same old. Salinate the soil. Over-fertilize. Pesticides, herbicides, fungicides. So, 
tell us a little bit about some of the regenerative agricultural techniques that you employ. And you know I'm a big fan of cover crops, so please try to hit that too, Miss Margaret. Absolutely. Yeah. So hemp is definitely not the only thing that we produce on this, on our farm. We grow everything from our own vegetables to our own beef. And, um, and so we, and, and the hay. So we also raise hay for our cattle and our horses for the wintertime that we know that they're, what they're eating was raised here, was grown here with our practices and, and, um, you know, and it's not been, you know, sprayed with, with anything, any pesticides or synthetic fertilizers. So, um, so everything that comes from our farm here is, is very clean and very much the quality is definitely controlled by our inputs. And so we do, we use our cattle, we rotational graze our cattle. And so they are constantly moving from one area to the other, uh, stirring up the ground, grazing it and fertilizing it as they go. So it's a challenge sometimes because we have old fencing around the property. So sometimes they end up where they're not necessarily supposed to be, but uh, for the most part, it's, it's, you know, we're all learning, but, but it's working out pretty well. And, um, so yeah, we use our cows. We put them. That's a practice of paddocking. Am I correct? Rotational grazing. We don't use, well, we use electric fence in some areas for them, but mostly we're using existing fence and, um, and just pushing them through to the different, to the different areas. So, and making sure we're utilizing all of the land we have, we have a lot of, about half of our property is dry land. And so, which is non-irrigated. And so to take advantage of all of the land on our property, they, you know, in the springtime when everything is wet from the snow melt and, and the early rains, they go up high up on our property and, and utilize the food that's available for them you know, up in those areas and all the while keeping the, the low brush taken care of and which is great for fire suppression and, and really letting the terrain open up, if you will. So keeping that good biodiversity alive in the soil as the cows move so through. So important. So, so yes. important to keep that, to build that soil, all of that organic matter. And as you say, it's the key word, biodiversity. And that brings us right into cover crops. Tell us a little bit how you use cover crops for weed suppression or building of the soil, moisture conservation, and even integrated pest management. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, we don't do a lot of weed suppression. We do a lot of weed management. (laughs) So, and now, mind you, weeds, weeds are just plants that are growing where you don't want them to. That's what we call weeds. But I am a huge fan of a lot of weeds actually, because a lot of weeds do a lot of, of the, the, the groundwork for you. We do a minimal till unique or a minimal till technique for, for growing our hemp. We, we, we usually, we typically just till in the rows, we're going to plant our plants and then between the plants, we leave a cover crop, which is a mixture of hay, grass hay, alfalfa, clover, dandelions. Oh, we've got all kinds of plant material and, and, and weeds as well. You know, what you would call weeds as well. And a lot of those weeds that come into those. And I use those words, but the reality is 
you're planting those particular cover crops very intentionally as they're nitrogen fixers. So I guess when we say weed suppression, we would prefer to have nitrogen fixing intentionally planted sort of cover crops as opposed to weeds that might be taking from the soil as opposed to as opposed to replenishing them with alfalfa and clover, as you say. Definitely, definitely. And yeah, so we we leave that cover crop in between the rows for several reasons. It's green material and green material reflects heat instead of absorbing heat as brown, dry, you know, dirt does. It allows mm-hmm. any moisture that comes onto the ground to be absorbed and to hold onto that moisture more than, you know, your brown bare dirt. And also it provides a food source for your typical pests like your grasshoppers and and other, you know, leaf eaters that, that come through. And I mean, last year, holy cow, let me tell you, we had grasshoppers like you would not believe. You couldn't even walk yeah. through the field without getting just dot, uh, bombed with, with grasshoppers. You got hit, uh, you know, as you walked through. And so I truly believe that if we had not had the cover crop as we did, as thick as we did, that there would not have been another food source for those grasshoppers and they would have eaten our hemp. And as it was, we saw little to no, no pest pressure from the grasshoppers on the plants. So and we're very, amazing. very grateful. Isn't it just incredible cover crops, all of the benefits of a cover crop, including this integrated pest management, because you know very well as I do that many growers had grasshopper damage last year in Colorado. They were hungry and they went right for the green on the bass, right on the green of the, of the stock, obviously the bass fiber attracted them and they would eat right through. So incredible, Absolutely. you know, employing these techniques. Yeah, we really don't have another option at this point. We really have to start going back to these practices. Hey, this is not new. This is not a new brand new farming method. This was farming and this was land management long, long before traditional agriculture came along. So we need to just remember. Absolutely. And and you know, you had started to say earlier, and it's probably a great time for us to discuss that, the different aspects of hemp, right? We have, we're talking about human and animal nutrition body care, nutraceuticals, pharmaceuticals, and general wellness. And we're also talking about paper, textiles, building materials, bioplastics, biocomposites, industrial sealants and coatings, energy, fuel, nanotechnology. Oh my Lord, somebody stop me. But when we talk about growing this crop for human or animal consumption, we're talking about needing to use our best soil because as you well know, it's a phytoremediator. Hemp will, you know, absorb and uptake contaminants and heavy metals in the soil and is, and is used for that purpose in various industrial sludge type areas and even, you know, Fukushima and Chernobyl to clean up the soils there. But we certainly can't have those types of, of plants in our food supply or in our nutraceutical or pharmaceutical general wellness supply. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, your feelings, your feelings with regard to cleanest, best soil and how important that is for, for things that are going into our mouths. Oh, absolutely. Oh yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, our skin is our largest organ and we absorb, you know, we absorb things that, that touch our skin, you know, into our bodies. And yes, 
that is one of my biggest educational passions right now is bringing that point to these farmers that are interested in in growing hemp and wanting to integrate hemp into their into their rotation and not necessarily understanding that part of the hemp plant and what it does and not only phytoremediator but it's a bioaccumulator so that means that it takes up those heavy metals and residual pesticides and toxins that are or can be present in soil and not necessarily just from previous agriculture but also from rain that maybe was that the clouds were formed over an area that was, you know, very toxic or anything. There's all sorts acid of rain. ways that acid toxins rain. can get. Yeah, there's all sorts of ways that, that toxins can get into the soil. There's the pesticide drift issue. There's all kinds. So, yeah, just not knowing that that is a characteristic of this plant. And people need to understand that because it can translate into a finished commodity, a finished product. And if you're trying to create a product that is going to be helping people, knowing that that can translate into a product that was is going to be ingested, is going to be consumed, that is a very important thing to know. And that is a very important consideration to have. Well, that is why we always do soil testing before we even start planting in in areas that, you know, when we're, when we're helping farmers out, we always say, what's the first thing we do? We test our soils. And we not only test our soils for our pH, our nitrogen, you know, phosphate, potassium levels, we test it for heavy metals, residual pesticides, and other kinds of contaminants. That way we know what we're starting off with. You don't want to get down the line and be harvesting your crop and find out that it's got, you know, unsafe levels of heavy metals in it. And so... It's so important for not only the end consumer of that product, but also for the farmer, because, you know, a lot of people that are are starting to grow can't afford to have a total loss on a crop because it's got pesticide contamination. It's let's let's try to avoid some of these catastrophic issues that are going to, you know, come up if we if we end up with with heavy metals and pesticides in our end product. So that's my passion project. (laughs) Absolutely. And so important for the consumer to know these things. And we have such a shared responsibility to work very hard. The Hemp Industries Association, of course, you do such great work and and you're you're on the board of directors for the Colorado chapter of the HIA. And thank you for that. Um, As you know, I have the privilege and honor of being the president of the Hemp Industries Association formed in 1994. And we have such a shared responsibility here. The industry the trade associations, the advocacy organizations to teach consumers what they need to know. They know that they want this thing called CBD or hemp extract. They just are faced with a whole bunch of different products out there on the market and not knowing even the first questions to ask. And of course, one of the most basic questions to ask is where was this plant grown and how was it grown? Then how is it processed? And so on and so forth. It's it's just so important. Well I want you to know, 11, eight. How was it made? Where, you know, where was it made? Was that manufacturer compliant with their local health department? Um, All of those things, all of those things are so So, important. Very, very much so. And, uh, And all I can tell you is that your single origin, small batch, 
basically hand harvested uh, products that you delivered to the world. Just thank you for being such a great leader in this space and setting such wonderful standards for everybody and for being such a voice on stewarding, uh, stewarding this crop. And do you think maybe we might get to come with us for the HIA European tour next year? I we're going to do, I think France and Italy next year. Thinking about it, oh, Miss Margaret, I know I am. So excited. Uh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> we learned so Absolutely. much. The world is getting smaller and smaller. Thanks to the internet. Thanks to people. And, and thanks to hemp. It's just incredible being able to look at the world through the hemp and eyes that we, that we are so privileged to, to look at it through. And it sure is a privilege to look at it um, with you, sister. So thank you for everything you do for hemp and for the industry, and for the hemp community. Well, and thank you for being such an inspiration to us. So we appreciate you and all you do. You know, we couldn't have it any other way. Once that plant gets you, as we said, it gets you. So such a pleasure, sweetheart. Thank you so much for being with us today, Miss Margaret. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on PodConX. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at the TalkingHedgePodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.